Welcome back to Courtside, and I know that I haven't been doing a lot of episodes. I've been kind of missing out things with work, reporting, as well as, you know, school itself in the middle of everything. I mean, night and day, I'm always doing something. So unfortunately, my schedule has been kind of against me. And then as well, I went to Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando over the weekend and ended up getting sick. Ended up like missing off half of the week. Uh even watching any NBA games, but I went back to NBA League Pass, I double-checked every single game, looked at all the stats, and I got a lot of things to talk about because even though I had missed out on the first and a half week of the NBA without a podcast, I guarantee you I'll be able to cover a lot of that and more, either that be for Ben Simmons and seeing him on the court for the first time in almost two years, either that be Paulo Benichero, the number one draft pick from this year, somehow balling for his life in his first five games in the NBA, but now... 0-5 0-5 with the Orlando Magic. So I'll be going into that as well, the other storylines in the NBA. And, you know, stay tuned as well for the Halloween Horror Night stuff. I might even say some things about the weekend house that I saw in Orlando and all the other things from Halloween Horror because I thought it was better than most years this year. Much better than last year, that's a guarantee. But with that being said, welcome back to the court side. This episode of the Courtside Podcast is brought to you by YouTube channels Highway Temptation and Captain Barbo, who make content on YouTube weekly. And either if you're, let's say, at Elden Rings, or I believe that Captain Barbo and his channel, they just reached 300 subs, and they're honestly on the way up. They're very much in the game right now. He actually got a new uh, episode on uh, Resident Evil, which are always hilarious. And if you're ever into Sonic the Hedgehog, Guarantee you, check out the old episodes of Highway Temptation as they list out their rankings on some of the Sonic games in the past. So, again, don't forget to subscribe to those channels on YouTube and as well, follow the podcast. So, throughout so far in the beginning of this season, I think we've seen more surprises and then we had expectations for some of these teams. I mean, especially like the Philadelphia 76ers. I was not expecting them to drop their first three games. I mean, currently right now they're one and four for the season. And you talk about, you know, James Harden now on the team, Joel Embiid still over there after his MVP caliber season last year. And they're somehow not getting acquainted with anything. And and I understand they start off this season against the Boston Celtics, who look to be the team to beat off the get-go. I mean, they end up going 3-0 and in their start of the year in dominating fashion until they meet the uh, Chicago Bulls. But Philadelphia, hard schedule, Celtics, then you have Milwaukee. And then they finally end up going off to go and get their first win in Philadelphia, um, only to lose the next game to Toronto. And that Toronto game, that was a hard one. That was a hard one indeed, as they ended up losing that one 119-109 uh, Wednesday in Toronto. And again, Philadelphia is just one of the teams I talked about with these teams that are having surprising starts of the season and expectations. Somehow, some way, uh, similar to last year, the Washington Wizards are on a good start. As crazy as that may sound, right now they're 3-1 and and tied with second place with Boston, Atlanta, Cleveland, as well as New York. And speaking of New York, I think Jalen Brunson. And again, I understand a lot of people say the Knicks overpaid him four years, more than $100 million for this player who just really had a terrific start in the playoffs side-by-side side with Luka Doncic as Spencer Dinwiddie was coming off of the bench with the Mavericks. But again, I mean, this guy Brunson, he definitely moves the ball around. I think he has some more of an energized feel to the New York offense because it's not like you're going to have R.J. Barrett run down the ball every single time and say that, hey, check it out. 
Let's move it around. Let's do a crisp, nice. He doesn't have the experience yet. Jalen Brunson has that plus more. And I think from what we've been seeing from him so far, he's been great for the New York, as right now they are 3-1 and one for the season. However, the teams that are on the West Coast surprising me the most, the Portland Trailblazers. Right now, 4-1. and one, They're actually tied with the first place spot in the West with Memphis as well as Utah. And speaking of Memphis, I mean, because we all know the Grizzlies are going to be that team in the West, right? They obviously were right there against the Warriors. It took them a six games until John Moran had some injuries in the semi-second uh, round of that playoff series last year. But now they're back. I mean, we're talking about from the games they had, they had two come back from behind down double digits uh, victories to start the season. John Morant, 32.6 points average so far per game, which is fourth in the NBA. And also Desmond Bain, as weird as this stat may sound, 22 threes made so far in this early NBA season. That's only second behind Stephen Curry, who has 27. Now, the Grizzlies offensively, they're obviously going to be a great team every single year, but I think that now they're going to be elevated to, I mean, this team that's going to blow people out. That's what I feel like is going to be happening over there in Memphis. If we looked at the most recent game that they had, which I believe was against the Sacramento Kings, who are now 0-4, uh, the Grizzlies had 125 points, right? Blew out the Kings, you know, 125 to 110. And then the game before that, too, as well for Memphis. That was, I believe, on, if I can remember right, I believe that was on Monday against Brooklyn. That was a double-digit win, 134 to 124 against Brooklyn. And again, playing against Kevin Durant in Memphis. Which, no matter where you play Kevin Durant, it's always going to be hard. It's always going to be hard. No doubt about that. So, the Grizzlies right now are definitely a team to look after. Portland, as I said before, kind of a surprise. However, on the downside of things, um, they ended up uh, having some injury issues with Damian Lillard, who I believe sprained his calf. And who knows exactly how that would really affect the team, especially, um, you know, a lot of times when you look at the games in October, they don't really emphasize the rest of the season of how things will show up. But again, you'll definitely have to look into that. Uh, the Phoenix Suns, obviously 3-1 with New Orleans right behind them, both being potential big suitors in the West. And then the teams on the outer banks, such as Denver, right now 3-2, and two, kind of a sloppy start to the season. Then you also have Minnesota right behind. Sacramento, Probably the shock early in this year. The shocking part in the Western Conference is the fact that the Golden State Warriors, as well as the Dallas Mavericks, are having off-putting starts to this season. And again, I understand. First four to five games. Nothing to really be worried about. But if you look at Golden State, who had the whole thing in the offseason before this season even started with Draymond Green, smacking the crap out of Jordan Poole in a practice that was caught on TMZ. I mean, absolutely just rocked him on the chin. And ends up only getting fined, not suspended, anything like that from the team. Which I thought was really surprising. But either way, they come into the season with all that stuff going on in the media. They end up having a huge win against the Lakers to open off uh, opening night with them. Where they had the banner and the cool warm-up. I love the Golden State warm-ups, the little golden stuff. But so far, 3-2 and two in the season. And... They've been like on and off here and there. I mean, they haven't really gone like a huge win streak going through their schedule, which I thought they would have coming out. And then Dallas as well. 
Luka Doncic, guy is playing phenomenal. I mean, there's no doubt about that, that Luka right now is the top performer in the NBA, in my opinion. So far, in the Mavericks' four games, we're talking about Luka averaging 36.3 points a game, as well as 9.3 assists per game. Now, mind you, this is a guy who is basically a guard. That's basically the top production efficiency that a guard can do out of the entire NBA so far early in this season. Almost averaging a double-double early off. But at the same time, Dallas is 2-2 two and two for the season. And they actually came off of a win recently. But you're probably doing like 120 a game. And Golden State as well, averaging close to 120 a game, about 120.8 a game. There is at least every single team ahead of them in the Western Conference so far in the standings, besides Sacramento. That is average. No, my apologies. Besides New Orleans, that is averaging more points a game as a team than Golden State and Dallas. Now, why on earth is Golden State, who is basically blowing out teams and also scoring more points as a collective? compared to anybody else in the Western Conference, why are they struggling right now early in this season? Well, you can say it's the competition, but it's also because of the defense, right? From the overall points allowed, 121.2. So it outstretches exactly what they put down or produce per game for the team in points offensively. And why is that? That's because, you know, let's say, for example, the game against the Phoenix Suns. Devin Booker, phenomenal athlete getting every shot that he wants to, despite the fact that Jordan Poole does a lot of nasty moves. And I even remember one that they showed on TNT that Kevin Harlan just absolutely just flabbergasted. He couldn't believe it on the call. And I couldn't believe it either. I think Jordan Poole's going to have a great year. But either way, the flashiness from Poole, Curry doing what Curry does best, it's not producing on the defensive side. And that's what I think will be a thing I need to see Golden State do, especially with having uh, Wiseman back. And Andrew Wiggins now with a big contract. Poole with a big contract. How does this team still collectively stand tall as the reigning champs? As the people who are defending the Larry O'Brien? That's what I really want to see from Golden State. Because honestly, defense wins championships. There's no doubt about that. And they have probably, in my opinion, the worst defense right now in the Western Conference. Unless you want to talk about Sacramento. Who's allowing at least 120 a game. But, speaking of Sacramento, because I said before, 0-4. The Lakers, as well, 0-4 to start the season. So far, early in this season, Sacramento, Los Angeles, as well as the Orlando Magic are the only teams who are winless in the entire NBA season. Orlando 0-5, Lakers 0-4, Sac 0-4. And I really was excited to watch Sacramento Kings basketball for like the first time in a long time. Because King and Mary and then, you know, you have Fox, Sabonis still on that team. And it's like, yeah, they got they got guys. They got guys. There's no doubt about that. I'm excited to see this young core people. But it's like, I mean, where's the luck? They're not really having any of it. We look at Sacramento right now. And, I mean, they play a little bit too fast. I mean, I know that Fox last few seasons was playing more or less like I don't want to include my teammates I want to just get the ball drive right through use his speed to his advantage and just try to carry the Kings by himself in today's NBA you just can't do that you just can't do that at all 
especially when you have somebody like Keegan Murray, who is, you know, fourth pick coming out of Iowa, ends up going on to have a, a terrific year in the summer league. And now through three games that he that he has played so far with the Kings, we look at his stat line, we're talking about 36.8 minutes average a game. So he's gained those minutes and he's gained the ball as well here. 17.7 points a game off of 51.3% field goal overall. And his three-point shot, I mean, he's made 41.7% so far in the season. Again, too early to tell. Not a lot of things you can go off of. But, I mean, I like seeing Murray on the court. I think he's a huge forward that renovates this entire offense. I mean, that front court with him and Sabonis, if they really do play a lot more minutes together, I think that... De'Aaron Fox, like, he can really take advantage of that and say that, let's do the pick and roll. Let's do high pick and roll. Let's just go crazy on the wings. Let's do something in the post with these guys. Let me get the ball in these two big hands where one of them is an all-star. Another one, Keegan Murray, is probably the most exciting basketball player out of this rookie class besides Paulo Banchero. And speaking of Paulo Banchero, five games. Five games this guy has played so far in the NBA. And he has not disappointed. And mind you, these are games that are not against the weakest parts in the Eastern Conference. Because so far he's played only against Eastern Conference opponents. Uh, He actually started off the year in Detroit. And that was a loss. However, 35 minutes in that game, 27 points to start off his NBA career. Let alone shooting 61.1% from the field overall. That is insane. That is insane. The only negative part I would probably say Apollo's game is his inefficiency on the three. It's because, I mean, you look at his first three games. I mean, specifically the one in game two that he had against Atlanta. And then the game they had against Boston. Uh, Apollo was not doing too well. One in six overall shooting uh, from that game against Atlanta. Then the Boston game, he was only doing two and seven. So you're getting yourself to start off your NBA career below 30% behind the arc. However, the most recent game he had actually against Cleveland, and at Cleveland against Donovan Mitchell, he ends up doing 3-5, 60% from the three, and 37 minutes in this game, 29 points. Through five games, he is almost getting himself to a career high of 30-plus points. And he probably will do that later on this season. It's insane. I'm going to just go down from the points because if I went through like every single number, I'll be here all day. But Paulo in the first game against Detroit had 27 points. Atlanta, 20 points. Boston, 23 points. At MSG, Madison Square Garden put up 21 points there. And was shooting 46.2% from the field in the in the in probably the best stadium out there in the NBA. And that is impressive to say in, the least in itself. I mean, I'm just... It's just unreal to me to see Paulo do this. I understand NBA frame already. Number one pick out of Duke for a reason. But at 19 years old, to be in the NBA or producing like this off the jump is ridiculous. And don't get me wrong. He's getting the minutes to do so. If you put an NBA player out there for more than 35 minutes, they should be able to get 15 or more points a night. No matter if rookie, 20th year, they should at least attempt or at least make enough shots to get themselves 15 a night. From what Paulo has been doing, he's been able to carry this team. Got a couple of even like highlight reels posters. It's unreal. 
It's unreal. But the Orlando Magic at the same time, they just haven't been producing. Haven't been producing. I mean, we look at their schedule and, you know, the Cleveland game, besides the fact that Paula put up 29, lost by 11, 103 to 92, right? And then you also go into their future schedule. They have Charlotte coming up on the 28th, which is actually uh, today, uh, being Friday at 7 p.m. And that was going to be a home game in Orlando. That might actually be the first win of the season. I'm not going to lie to you. Charlotte, I said before the season started that they're going to be the worst team in the East. I don't know if I'll be right at the end of the day. You know, it's only October basketball, so it's way too early to tell. But... A game at home against Charlotte should be their first win of the season. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, but at the same time, look at their future schedule. You play Dallas on the 30th. To start off the month of November, you play against OKC in OKC, which is never an easy matchup. Never an easy matchup. And then Golden State on the 3rd of November. So in reality, there is a possibility that the Orlando Magic may not win a game until midway of November. There's a real possibility about that. And now there is two games in November early on that I think a lot of people will want to get national attention around. The game on the 5th and 7th of November. In Orlando, Keegan Murray and the Sacramento Kings, which I mentioned before about Murray being this, you know, prospective rookie, probably one of the best guys out there in this draft, one of the funnest to watch. Murray will be in town in Orlando on the 5th at 5 p.m playing against uh, Paulo Benachero, the Magic. And still staying at home two days later, November 7th, plays against Houston and Smith Jr. The guy, third pick in the draft, came out of Auburn. And Houston, I'm not really too familiar of what's going on behind the doors over there in Houston. There was like a little bit of an argument between the young players on the bench side, and Eric Gordon was just unfazed. Looked like he was only there just to get paid. So I don't know what Houston is going to look like this season, but they definitely do have some issues at 1-4 and four so far through their first five games. So Apollo just might have the benefit of the doubt to blow out Houston in that one on the 7th. But again, number 3 and the number 4 pick goes against the number 1 pick within a span of 2-3 to three days. So Apollo Banchero balling out of his mind. Magic still 0-5 for the season. I mean, it's still fun basketball. There's no doubt about it. The funnest part about this team is Paulo. I don't know if if you like bowl bowl stats. I don't know if you are into <laughs> bowl bowl against Garrett Allen in the um in the Cavs game, but it's not like I'm gonna go out of my way and put on lead pass and pay the fifteen dollars, twenty dollars a month to go watch bowl bowl stats. It's not Taco Fall we're talking about. But also speaking of going on to the next uh, winless team. We now look to the Lakers. And the Lakers is interesting because this is a team with LeBron James in it, who's winless so far early off in the season. With a schedule that is honestly, it's kind of intimidating what the Lakers have. Because they ended up starting off this season against the Golden State Warriors on the road. And then you go off to have these other marquee matchups in the Western Conference for the Lakers, right? play against the Clippers you lose that one then you play against Portland and Portland was on his hot streak to win their first three to four games you lose that one in probably a heartbreaking fashion and we'll go into that later on as well and then you lose to the Denver Nuggets by double digits there now 
they're going to be on the road in Minnesota later on tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern time. That one might be a loss. You go back home against Denver, Jokic, there's no doubt about it. That will be a loss. The Pelicans, November 2nd, that will be a loss. Utah, somehow, someway, Danny Ainge was able to breathe life when everyone thought they were, they were tanking for Wemby. They're actually out here making a super team. So Utah's on the come up, and that will most likely be a loss. The Cavs, probably a loss. Utah, again, in Utah, probably a loss. Clippers, again, share the same building, but Clippers court, that will be a loss. And then the Sacramento Kings, November 11th. That is the only game I feel confident enough to bet on the Lakers. Either that be Lakers money line, either that be Lakers all out. That would be the only game I would bet anything Lakers. Because the way they look is just horrible. They have no death on their bench. I mean, unless you want to talk about Reeves, unless you want to talk about Kendrick Nunn coming out of nowhere, right? They don't have nothing on the bench. And from what I'm, I'm at least aware of, Russell Westbrook has been struggling in this season. To start off this season against Golden State, he had 19 points in that game to start off, right? And then he went 0-11 in shooting against the Clippers in opening night in Crypto.com Center, whatever it's called. Still going to call it Cape, uh, Staples Center because I really do not like the idea of even having a Crypto.com. Like, .com in the stadium's name? What are they doing? Who, who even wrote that off? I don't even think that... Why is this called Crypto Center? Or the Crypt. I don't know. You can call it whatever you want. It's Halloween. Call it the Crypt. Call it the Mummy. Whatever. Either way, Russell Westbrook has been struggling and he's been avoiding it. And for some reason, his teammates are behind his back. And I get it. Like, if you want to be a teammate on somebody's team, you want to support your teammate through hard times. But this is ridiculous. This is absurd. First four games, you're trying to tell me you go 0-11 in the home opener. To only have two points in that one. The loss against Portland, and as I mind you before, heartbreaking fashion, that Portland loss I was going to talk about later on. Russell Westbrook brought the ball down with enough time on the clock, especially on the shot clock, mind you, to have the ball, move it around, get a good basket, a close matchup, which saw at, the, at that moment, I think the Lakers were down by one, I believe, and they were trying to get the lead. Westbrook goes to the right wing, steps inside for a mid-range shot, misses it. Instantly, back of the rim, bounces off on the left side, doesn't even get close to inside of the of the uh, cylinder. Within like six seconds, <laughs> he brought down the ball himself on the right side of the court, going like to the sideline and said, let me step into this and misses the mid-range shot within six seconds. Even the announcer, the play-by-play guy for Los Angeles I mean, he was like, Russell, no, Russell, no. And there's obviously a reason why, because everybody in the building is thinking to themselves, man, let's at least get a good shot up. And they did it. And speaking of good shots, Russell didn't find any bit in that game. He only scored 10 points in that one, 4 and 15 overall from the uh, shooting from the court. So from my understanding about it, Russell is probably the reason why. And again, from Westbrook to Russell Wilson, this is not a good year for Russells at all in sports. I just think that Russells need to retire for a moment. Let the Russell chocolates come in to save Halloween and then come around in November to make some clutch games. And speaking of Russell Wilson, I mean, I know this is an NBA podcast, but the guy was doing like high knees or something like that. 
on the way to London for their Sunday's London game. And, I mean, you know, do what you got to do as the quarterback, but why on the plane? Let alone standing on a plane. Like, you don't jump in an elevator, so you shouldn't probably, you know, jump and do high knees in a whole workout 35,000 feet above land. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that's just insane to me to think that anybody would even, like, be comfortable sleeping like that. I would have, like, had a whole fight on the bus, on the plane, whatever it is. You know what I mean? But either way, not a good time for Russell's in the NFL and definitely in the NBA with what Russell Westbrook being kind of the cause of attention as the Lakers are on a lose streak. And actually the Denver game, Russell was in street clothes for that one. He wasn't playing that one. And they ended up still losing by double digits by 11. But again, you know, not a lot of depth on that team either. But now we take away from our focus of the Western Conference teams and obviously the winless teams. I want to talk a little bit about the Brooklyn Nets and Ben Simmons to end off this podcast. Now, the Brooklyn Nets currently right now are 1-4. Kevin Durant is averaging more than 30 points a game and has probably been looking as the best player on the court every single night besides the night they played against Milwaukee, I believe, on uh, Wednesday where they lost that one. Like Kyrie Irving, he's playing pretty mediocre basketball right now, but he's still putting up his numbers. Uh, Patty Mills is coming off the bench, and he's doing pretty well himself. Um, Now, anybody else out there? Russell O'Neal, not making that much of an impact as I thought he would make originally for the Brooklyn Nets. I'm not going to lie to you. I thought Royce would actually come in there and actually do a little bit more of an offensive presence to move things around, but not a lot of things going on there. And with the loss of Andre Drummond as well as Bruce Brown in the offseason, this team looks absolutely different. I think ever since that 2021 Game 7 loss against Milwaukee in the second round that year's playoffs has definitely been the downward spiral in Brooklyn. Either that be in ownership, coaching, what have you. They lose James Harden over trade last year. Then they end up having to lose Andre Drummond and Bruce Brown. And Andre Drummond was a huge part of that Philadelphia piece coming in from the James Harden trade, which also brought in Ben Simmons. But again, Andre Drummond was starting. He was a huge factor for them. And somehow, some way, you're not able to hold them down for the extra years, let them go off to Chicago. And Bruce Brown now in Denver, I believe, and he's been doing pretty okay over there. But Bruce Brown in Brooklyn, I mean, he was a huge point in their runs deep in the postseason as well as their offense, as weird as it may sound, as a small forward, as KD would usually either run the ball down or come down to the low post on like the right side. Um, But now without those players, and as well as Seth Curry still on the bench in street clothes, we talk about a team that is looking like Kevin Durant's picking up everything, but to do little to no avail with Ben Simmons struggling. And Ben Simmons, who has not played in the past two years, basically, ever since he ends up, you know, giving up that easy dunk in front of Trey Young in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, no, in the second round of the of the East, which was, man, what year was that? I think that was uh, 2021. Yeah, 2021 against Atlanta. He ends up basically having the basket right in front of him. Six foot whatever. Trey Young is looking up at him under his chin. And there's nothing but the basket in front of Ben Simmons who can easily yam it in there. But he ends up doing a pass like he always does on some fancy stuff. And that ends up basically erupting Philadelphia into a frenzy of, man, 
is this guy serious right now? In this moment of the game, is he serious right now? So definitely Ben Simmons said, yeah, I cannot play here. I want to be traded. Says also thinks some things have gone too mental for him as well. And he ends up not playing for anybody for an entire year. Even gets traded in the trade deadline with the James Harden one, as I mentioned before. But doesn't play in the playoffs when Brooklyn gets swept by the Boston Celtics last season. And now he starts to play now. And we look through him through five games. This is him five games. Averaging 31.1 minutes a game. So he's on the court. There's no doubt about it. He's doing his part. But 5.6 points so far this season, a game, he's averaged. Five points. You're there more than 30 minutes. And this is an all-star Ben Simmons again. But he's only there for 30-something minutes getting five points at 6.10. That's the issue, I think. That is the issue. You're 6'10", you're more than well over 200-something pounds, right? 240 pounds in this case. And you're out there getting only five points? And he started the season accurate. There's no doubt about that. I mean, through his first two games, he was averaging a better field goal percentage than the majority of the NBA was 60% from the field. But at the same time, later on, in the last three games of his, it's dropped immensely two and five against memphis two and seven against milwaukee both of these road games now he's back in brooklyn against dallas which was actually a game played last night this one 37 minutes in this one three and seven from the field seven points in this one but at the same time you're also like oh you know his game is not his game is not scoring it's got to be the defense it's got to be got to be the assist numbers and don't get me wrong don't get me wrong right he had three games so far out of the five games where he has eight or more assists but at the same time ben your efficient level your efficiency you're in front of the basket majority of the time he airballed a layup in the in the dallas game which is insane to think at 610 as a lefty maybe i don't know if like a different hands even mean anything like i literally write with my right hand but i try to do things with my left and i still can even make an a or an i or whatever but as a left-handed guy he rolls his fingers up in front of the basket and the ball sails to the left it's not even a shot that's going on i think it's just his confidence that's going on that's what i think is going on right now with him it's his confidence to score in the basket in the paint to take these other guys in the nba to a whole nother level that to me Seems to be the main issue of Ben Simmons. Because it's not, again, 6'10", 240 pounds. He has the width, the frame. He obviously has some sort of skill in the NBA where you make him a unique player to either play on defense or offense. He's unique in his own way, his own skill set. But the question is, how does he use it? How does his confidence build onto this Brooklyn Nets team? How does his confidence build through other players, how are they lifting him up? And I don't think Brooklyn is a good situation for him to do that. Because Kyrie Irving, I mean, we even saw in the Milwaukee game, he was yelling out, shoot it, Ben, after giving off Ben Simmons the ball right under the basket. Frustration will kick in later on this season. There is no doubt about that in my mind. The frustration towards Ben Simmons will reach the Brooklyn bench before it reaches the fan base. That's a guarantee. 
The real question is, how does that look like? But we'll probably talk about that later on. And with that, I'm going to end the podcast right here. A little bit longer than I expected, really, 32 minutes. But there was a lot of things going on in the NBA that I was not able to cover because of my schedule and all things with me being sick and all that stuff. And oh, before I go, Halloween Horror Nights, the weekend house, really weird, but really great. I ended up seeing a little bit here and there. The line was like two hours long, but he has like blinding lights. It's like three of his songs that are part of his uh his uh horror house in um Orlando for Halloween Horror Nights. It's like blinding lights, save your tears for another day, and another song I can't put my name on it at the moment. But the house had like white colored themed rooms, blinding lights, mirrors, uh, kind of a slasher house really. But this year was phenomenal, though. Plus, the Halloween house, fantastic. At the end, it really got me. Not going to ruin too much, but definitely brought me back to 1978. And, of course, the one, it was like a graveyard pier thing of a New England uh, shipyard. Incredible design. Incredible design in that one. These houses this year in Halloween Hornets were better than most years. Uh, Probably one of the best times I had at Halloween Horror Nights besides the fact that I got a little bit sick <laughs> so but besides that um, I'll be back with another episode most likely next week I'm gonna try to be more consistent with these things I just my schedule I have to try to balance everything right now but I'll see you guys on the next one